Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com podcast. Easier said, done. Welcome to the Viking Age podcast, the official podcast of thevikingage.com. My name is Chris Shad. I am a writer for the Viking Age as well as Zone Coverage, Bring Me the News, and the Brookings Register. My co-host uh, is normally Adam Patrick, who is the managing editor of the Viking Age, but he is on assignment today. We do this every Monday and Thursday right here on the Viking Age YouTube channel and on Apple and Spotify every Tuesday and Friday. But however you consume us, rate, comment, like, and subscribe so you never miss a new episode. Like I mentioned, Adam is out today, so we have another new guest for you. So we usually have a weekly guest here on the Viking Age podcast. Today's guest enjoys a nice sunny fall afternoon at Huntington Bank Stadium, a good bow tie, and apparently a nice bucket hat during training camp. He also does extensive work with the Vikings at Vikings Corner and is one of the leading golf voices in covering gopher football at Gophers Guru. He is Daniel House. What's going on, Daniel? Hey, what's up, man? I, I should have wore the bucket hat. I didn't know you were going to reference my training camp mode getting activated uh, yesterday. It, it's it's beginning now. Year 11. I've been doing Vikings for you know first few years, and then now it's merged into Gophers. So ninth year Vikings, uh 11th year Vikings and nine years of Gophers. So we do, we, we love this time of year. And I wasn't going to do it. I literally was scrolling Instagram like 20 minutes ago and I saw that uh, bucket <laughs> hat and I'm like, you were probably right. Knowing you, you were probably rocking it like five years ago. Like who's that fool wearing a bucket hat? Now everybody's got one. Like all, all the kids, I'm going to sound super old here at 37, but like all the kids are rocking the furry ones. You got Austin <laughs> Matthews at you. Joe Burrow's rocking bucket hats. Like you were just a trendsetter, man. Nothing wrong with that. Bucket hats and bow ties. That's, I guess that's my bio now on social media. Bucket not, hats and bow not ties. together. I, I mean, if you really wanted to try it, you, we could just break yeah, that oh, out. No, that, that, that's, that's a fashion violation, man. The bow ties <laughs> is a game day game day item. So we'll see. I, I got to I, I gotta get my bow ties together for the games yet. I haven't decided what I'm rolling out yet. So 
I better get going. I got about a month to go. So well, we'll get rolling here as we have some big Vikings news that drop. By the way, we're recording this on Sunday night. So uh, if anything dropped on Monday, be sure to check out my Twitter account, the real Chris Shad. Actually, now it's X, whatever, whatever it's called. Like X gonna give it to you. <laughs> uh the real Chris Shad, Instagram, Twitter, X, Wolf. I don't know. Wolf doesn't <laughs> even exist, but um, it really should at this point. But the Minnesota Vikings have agreed to a new contract with Daniil Hunter. It's a one-year, $20 million deal. Uh, there is a report that it has $17 million in base salary, which is nearly three times, actually over three times the amount of his $4.9 million he was set to make uh, before this was reached. Uh, the deal has no trade and no franchise tag clauses. Hunter can cash in with a Big contract next offseason. I'm going to ask you because Ian Rappaport was talking on NFL Network today. He said there were several times during the offseason where he thought the Vikings were going to trade Daniel Hunter. So was this the right solution for the Vikings and Daniel Hunter's camp? Yeah, I almost wonder if the Vikings weren't exploring trade options, engaging interest, seeing what type of compensation they could get back for Daniel Hunter, and then finding out here's here's what the bar is. Is it worth executing that trade, or do you decide to give him money up front this year, see how he performs, if he stays healthy and has a big year? You can always find a way to reach a uh, extension, another contract after this season ends, but you have the, the way I understand it from reading things uh, and reading rules that Daniel Hunters uh, still would be able to uh, get the Vikings a compensatory pick in 2025. So if indeed that happened, you'd be able to potentially get a comp pick for Daniel Hunter. So only the Vikings know what type of return that they were potentially going to receive from another team. I feel like the comp pick played into it where it's like, hey, the, you could get up to a third round pick uh, in return, you know, essentially because you know you're going to get a comp pick in 2025 possibly. So that's how I understand it is that the comp pick will be available for the Vikings if he were to go to another team in 2024, it would be available in 2025. So I feel like it, it was one of those things where the Vikings wanted to get this done, didn't want to drag it out any longer. Definitely fielded calls. I mean, Rappaport was saying today he thought at many points throughout the offseason that Neil Hunter was going to get traded. But if you look at the roster and how that pass rush group shakes out, you know, without Neil Hunter, you had a lot of question. DJ Wanham would have to play a larger role, step up. You got Marcus Davenport. Can he stay healhealthy and unlock something within Brian Flores' scheme? Patrick Jones had a great season last year, has developed every year, shown growth. In a lot of different areas, I thought last year was really a point where we were potentially seeing him start to turn the corner. What what does he do this season? But, you know, that was really it when you look at that room. So you absolutely, from a competitive standpoint, had to get the Neil Hunter's deal done. And the Vikings found a way to to reach, uh, reach an agreement. Yeah, and I think both sides win this deal because the Vikings are going to keep a guy who is their top edge rusher. He's a guy who had 10 and a half sacks, even though he didn't know what he was doing in Ed Donatel's defense half the year. They had him dropping back. They had him doing all this different stuff. It wasn't a fit. Now right. you bring him in with Brian Flores. And Brian Flores, he's going to play some 3-4. He's going to play some 4-3. He's going to give different looks. And the whole thing about this, I wrote about this at Zone Coverage on Friday. Hunter has this thing where... You know, Brian Flores' defense, it doesn't rely exclusively on edge rushers to generate pressure. 
Mike Zimmer's defense, it was about, you know, 50 to 60% edge rushers right. were generating the pressures and they were generating the sacks. With Brian Flores, that number was closer to 40%. So really, I think Flores looked at Hunter as kind of a luxury item and like, hey, if this is really expensive and we have to pay him, like, let's see if we can move on. And you mentioned the compensatory pick in 2025. The fact that they kept him and did not trade him this offseason makes me think that those offers weren't as good as we think they are. That's what and, I'm thinking, too. And and the other thing about it is, you know, you go back to like 1998 and or I, 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 it wasn't 98. It was a little bit further, like early 90s. Chris mm-hmm. Dolman was about the same point of his career as Daniil Hunter, and he wanted a new contract. The Vikings wound up trading him to the Atlanta Falcons and they wound up trying to replace him for like four years in 98. They could have used Chris Dolman, but uh, instead Derek Alexander did not turn out to be Chris Dolman. And we all know how that pass rushers don't grow on trees, Chris. That's what it comes down to. You, If you find someone with the Neil Hunter's talent level when healthy, he can produce and perform at a high level and getting to work with Brian Flores is the exciting aspect of this because he'll, he'll tailor that front around things that he does. Well, he isn't going to be just rushing off the edge or, you know, like you said, dropping a lot, that could be a components of that, but you know, you can do things like Mike Zimmer like to do at the front, moving a Daniel Hunter, you know, mugging him in certain places, stunting, doing a lot of things that maximize his potential. When you have a passenger like Daniel who, I think what separates the really good passers from the elite ones is the ability to flip their hips at a 90 degree at the top of the rush. And, you know, Daniil has that special trait. And we watched all of the all of the seasons of Daniil Hunter when he is healthy, what he can do. Now he gets to play in a defense that won't just try to maybe jam square peg into a round hole. It will maximize creative possibilities, have everybody on the line with a zero blitz and you got to account for all those players up there. But then at the last second, you run a simulated pressure and you drop a couple guys or drop one player and send another. Give the illusion of pressure. Uh, you can do creepers where you know, you're not really showing any pressure, but you're sending a nickel from a different spot. Like There are going to be a lot of pre-snap presentations with Flores that give the illusion of pressure. And it's just actually sending a, a different defender, a second or a third level defender from a different spot. Like Harrison Smith was going to be fun in this defensive scheme. Uh, I, I love how it will fit what he does really well, the disguise element. But, you know, one of the things, Chris, that I liked a lot while going back and looking at Flores is he mixed in more zone at the end of his Miami career. And I thought, you know, a lot of it was the man coverage, the blitzing, being so heavy in that capacity, that capacity, you kind of get beat on the explosive plays more frequently. Done a lot of research at the college level specifically on, you know, zone coverage, limiting explosive plays, being able to find that balance between bringing pressure and playing man versus zone. And, you know, what you got to do is be able to disguise those things, give a different presentation, get the get the quarterback guessing, change the picture, and then, you know, just create a lot of havoc just with, with eye candy. So I see Flores, his approach has continued to evolve. He's not one of these guys. I feel like the label is he's just an aggressive guy. And, you know, he's going to do all these things with versatile skill sets. Yes, that's definitely the case, but... I think he's evolved too, where he's got some different wrinkles. He's always thinking about ways that he can do things differently. Yeah. And I mean, the defense 
we were sitting here one year ago and we were looking at Kevin O'Connell's offense and we're just like, what is he going to do? Like, don't, don't film the practices because they're going to, this is going to be such an elaborate scheme. And Justin Jefferson is Cooper cup and all of this stuff. I think about Daniel Hunter in this defense and it's a lot better because you're looking at the defensive line and their job is not exactly to create pressure. And I know you know, a lot of people may have looked at Dalvin Tomlinson and be like, oh, that's a big loss because he was one of the thing, one of the guys that kind of made that defensive line. He only had a 9.4% pressure rate. He goes out, he gets that big four-year contract from the Browns. You still have Harrison Phillips, who's a really good run stuffer. You used to have Kyrus Tonga, who was really good against the run. And now you add Dean Lowry, whose PFF numbers weren't great, but he also generates pe- pressure at like an eight and a half percent clip at a much cheaper price. You go to linebacker. You hope that Brian Asamoah's coverage skills weren't a fluke in the final four weeks. I believe he was PFF's top coverage linebacker during that time. Jordan Hicks, he can tackle. Just don't ask him to do coverage. And then you have the safeties in the corners where I think that is just going to be one big battle royal where you have Byron Murphy Jr., Harrison Smith, and draw it out of a hat. Like, let's see what happens. Like, what are your expectations for Flores' defense, not only in training camp, but next season in general. Yeah, I, I can't wait to see how this all plays out. The The philosophy was across the roster, short-term deals with flexibility, young, high-upside players who maybe didn't maximize their complete potential through a variety of reasons, whether that's coaching, maybe scheme decisions, injury history. And I see more versatility on this defense, Chris. You mentioned it going and getting Dean Lowry, who can play from multiple techniques. Jaqueline Roy, a draft pick from LSU who can play all sorts of different. I mean, you can play from zero to five tech if needed. Like he's showing the ability to play all sorts of different alignments along the defensive line. You got another year of a Sezi player that I know very well from his time at the U of M uh, will also be a nice fit because he's not just pigeonholed into one position. He can play five tech, four eye, kick inside of the three tech, you know, there are different things that Flores will do with this front. He's not going to run the same front all the time. He's going to be very diverse in that area and, and how he presents things. Jordan Hicks is another player you mentioned. His blitzing skills and what he did uh, at previous stops, especially in Arizona, blitz-heavy defense. I want to see him in Flores' scheme because I think some of the things that he's being asked to do, you mentioned the coverage aspect of it. Having him be more of a downhill attacking type of linebacker that can put pressure on teams with the blitz side of it. I think this scheme will be a better fit for him. And then you got that other linebacker spot is interesting to me because Brian Asamoah is so athletic. I loved him coming out of the draft. I feel like he could potentially have maybe one of the higher ceilings of the guys they drafted in in that class, especially of of the mid-round guys. You saw last year just that burst and acceleration. And I saw a lot of like that Jeremiah Wusukoromoa type of skill set where you can do different things with him that maybe you wouldn't be able to with uh, another player because he can play coverage, he can blitz, he can align from different spots. And that's that's music to Brian Flores' ears, having a player who he can use in a lot of different ways. And that was kind of the theme just in the draft as well. Like Jay Ward was someone I had on my radar for a long time. I mean, safety, corner, nickel, all over the place, put him in the box. Like, he had all the traits of a Brian Flores type of defender. And then the Vikings went and picked him. And I was like, this is just a really, really good fit because he can tackle as well. Uh, he's good in coverage. Uh, very, very versatile player. 
and was uh, as a guy that can help you on special teams as well. So how quickly does he emerge? I'm excited to see him. Makai Blackman, who you know, I I was I was a big fan of that draft pick. I know a lot of people maybe didn't dig into Makai Blackman as much, but I went and watched all the corners for project I was working on at the college level, and I I took heavy notes on on Makai Blackman, and I went back and looked, and I'm like, man, uh, the ability to use him more as like a man cover corner, just because. He has very good instincts and ball skills, and he can jump under routes and adjust to passes, does a nice job of reading the quarterback's eyes. But he's such a smooth, fluid mover. And you can see that former wide receiver background that he had in high school. I think that's very valuable. I actually have done a lot of research on that in recruits. Like, do guys who have wide receiver backgrounds that end up playing corner, do they have more success at the college and NFL levels? And the answer is definitely yes. So you can put him into the boundary, let him work, use his physicality, speed, his quick feet and transition quickness. I like the style of play as he's really an aggressive mentality style cornerback who I believe uh, will develop and, and do a nice job in Brian Flores' scheme. The question is, you know, you got a Caleb Evans on the outside, Andrew Booth. Can those guys stay healthy? Joan Williams, it sounds like, has been getting a lot of reps up. Long, big, physical corner that Flores had a relationship with in New England. Uh, that is another thing, too, where you have Byron Murphy playing in the nickel. He can play outside and move all over. Like versatility, getting faster, finding players on, you know, value contracts that aren't crippling for the future that was definitely the approach on the defensive side my question is do they have enough depth on that side of the ball I think that's one of the things they're gonna have to stay pretty healthy on defense but I know B flow is gonna maximize the return on some of these players and there'll be I guarantee you Chris there'll be a player on this defense that everybody's going really wow like I wasn't expecting that from that player because there's always one of those guys on a Brian Flores defense where it's like nondescript name that bursts onto the scene that Flores finds and develops up and, and does a good job with. So we'll, we'll figure that out. I need to, I need to get to camp and see some practices and watch the preseason, but maybe I'll, maybe I'll peg one of my guys that I think Flores will develop up. Well, while the whole defense is a big storyline, I'm honestly happy that this Hunter thing is reaching a conclusion because it seems like one way or the other, he's either going to get a big extension next year or he's just going to go somewhere else. And mm -hmm. I feel like the last three years, you know, to fault of his own and to fault of his agent, like we, we've been in this situation. Like if he plays really well, he's going to get paid. Like there's a ticking time bomb at the end of his contract. And Quasey was just like, I'm just going to give him $16 million because that's a bargain for an ed edge rusher. You know what I mean? You know, are, like where do you think this ultimately ends? If Hunter has a big season, does he get the bag from the Vikings or the Vikings still try and get younger, still try and have that competitive rebuild and try and take another step forward? I, I guess we got to see it play out and, and watch how he performs this year in a brand new defensive scheme. Does it fit his skill set better? Do they maximize uh, the investment that they're making in him? And does he stay healthy? Is he able to play the full season and, do you see him, you know, making a significant contribution? I I am personally a Daniil Hunter guy. I think he, you know, I think he fits exactly what they are looking for in this defense. Brian Flores is going to view him as a, a luxury player who he can just do, drop so many creative things for to get him 
really good mismatches because like I said, the things that they're going to do in the front create a lot of different challenges for offensive linemen to identify. I know I was talking to some people around football about Flores a bit, and they were saying one of the things that they loved about his defense was, you know, as a coach going against him, they didn't love it so much, but like the ability to change that picture makes it so, so difficult to understand what's coming. So you've got the front, different things going on with the front, maybe a look there that you see pre-snap and whoa, it's not that. And then you also have the coverage side of it where, you know, you're showing a look pre-snap where maybe you're single high and you're rotating to two high or you got vice versa. I mean, it's it's constant change, but it's it's reasonable and it's not something that overwhelms players because that's the thing. You got to be able to present concise information, install the right amount of stuff that's going to maximize player potential. And that's where I feel Flores will provide a lift. Now, does he have the horse? That that's the question. Is he able to, you know, the, the Jimmys and Joes are always going to matter over the X's and O's. And that's one thing I've I've heard a lot of in this business. The coaches always say it's it's about the players and might be a bit of word salad, but I honestly I don't think it is because it's always going to be a, a player's game where you got to have the right personnel and you got to adapt your scheme to them, not vice versa. You can't have a scheme where you're trying to fit the players into what they don't do well. And maybe the Vikings had that last year with with that Donatello. I'm going to call it the mullet defense. It's all business up front and it's just a party in the back. You don't know what's <laughs> going to happen. You know, it's stuff going all over the place. You got Josh Metellus here, there, everywhere. It's, uh, yeah, it's he's, the Roy he's Kent package. Player. That's what I'm going to call him. It's the he's Roy Kent. He's an player to watch too, Chris. Josh Metellus. I've heard a lot of things about uh, he he has like that B flow breakout player. Josh Metellus might be the B flow uh, breakout player that people maybe wouldn't expect to have such a significant role, but does because they'll use him in a versatile way in which you know they'll they'll have him lining up in different spots and and doing things that uh, create challenges for the defense because uh, we know they're going to be very multiple. So Josh Metellus, maybe that's my guy. Well, let's look here. I'm going to wrap this up with one more question for you. Who signs a contract next for the Vikings? Is it TJ Hawkinson or is it Justin Jefferson? I'm saying it's Justin Jefferson because I got to get that thing done. I mean, the longer this thing goes, the more the price is going to go up. I mean, is there incentive on Jefferson's side to stall this thing out a little longer, knowing that other people will maybe sign their deals? The NFL contract market is fascinating right now. What you got going on with the running backs and you know, all the debate on, you know, what are people going to do with certain free agents in the franchise tag and that uh, at that position because of the way that, you know, these teams are valuing the running back position. And then now you've got, you know, massive contracts coming down the pipeline with Bosa and Jefferson and then, you know, Joe Burrow's contract now that Herbert just signed his like the the values of contracts will be super fascinating. I actually think, Chris, I wouldn't be surprised if TJ Hawkinson ends up getting the franchise tag and they end up playing it out that way. I'm not so certain he's going to get a long term extension immediately. I would bet on Justin Jefferson getting paid, getting his contract sooner rather than later. So that price doesn't go up if he wants to do that. And then TJ Hawkinson play the year out, see how it goes, franchise tag. That would be my guess right. Well, as the Vikings kind of get down to business and stop talking about contracts during camp, uh, there's another contract that everybody is waiting on, and that is the one of former Viking Dalvin Cook, who showed up at Jets camp today in a bizarre moment. Uh, He showed up. Everybody chanted his name because he was on their fantasy football team last year, and they saw his red zone highlights. 
Um, Morgan Morris, or excuse me, Morgan Moses and Dwayne Brown actually did the same thing and kind of got the same treatment, but they're offensive linemen, so people didn't really care. But <laughs> um, fans were chanting Cook's name. Uh, you know, he's dapping it up with Aaron Rodgers. He's talking to Brees Hall. He's talking to everybody there. Um, what do you think about Dalvin Cook potentially signing with the Jets? I I think it's incredibly intriguing just because of the, all the moves that the Jets have made where, you know, you got Garrett Wilson teaming up with Lazard and Nicole Hardman and, you know, the the weapons that they have there. You got Brees Hall, you got Michael Carter, and you got Dalvin Cook. The versatility of Dalvin Cook opens up some possibilities for them to do things schematically that they maybe couldn't do before. Maybe they involved Dalvin more in the passing game being able to run a lot of outside zone with him, one cut, get downhill, and, you know, uh, then have the play-action game with Aaron Rodgers, being able to, you know, influence those second- and third-level defenders and create a lot of big plays downfield. So to complement Brees Hall and have that type of a running back room, uh, it's another weapon that the Jets can add in there to a team that, you know, Aaron Rodgers took a pay cut, Wants to get some players in here, which I find ironic. You know, I feel like the Packers wanted him to do that for a long time. Then he goes to the Jets and says, right. here we go, I'm taking a pay cut. And immediately when he took that pay cut, I said to a lot of people that it's it's D.C. time. That That is a move right there where, you know, Aaron Rodgers has played in the NFC North. He knows what Delvin can do, and he sees now that he's been in there, he knows what type of missing piece they potentially need to take this thing to the next level. And, and Delvin – I still think Dalvin's got uh, gas in the tank. I think he can provide value for the Jets. I think he's got one more year left, maybe two. But I, I'm interested to see what the contract is if he agrees to a deal with the Jets. Because nope. I, I don't know. There was a lot of talk about his efficiency. Um, the Jets offensive line, I don't think it's that much better than the Vikings offensive line. I, I think that it's a very risky thing. And I mean, if Dalvin Cook doesn't pan out, the Jets can just turn to Brees Hall once he's got his knee right. I mean, that's that's why you signed Alvin Cook. It's like, okay, Brees Hall, take your time. Like, like, don't worry about getting back to week one. Don't worry about any of that stuff. We want you 100% because when you're back, you're going to be back. And you're going to well, work with just Dalvin it. Cook. Just think what that will do when he's able to come back. You know what I mean? Like, that element, him being fresher from, you know, not rushing back, Dalvin gets that first half of the year, then Brees Hall, and you also got Michael Carter. So, you know, you got a lot of different options that that you can dispose out there because, you know, the teams that spread the ball around to their playmakers and get everyone involved and have different layers and dimensions to their offense, they have the most success. So the Jets adding another weapon makes makes sense for them. There's also part of me that's almost just sick of talking about Dalvin Cook because it's just stretched on for so long. We had like from February until June, we're like, where are the Vikings going to do? Are they going to trade him? Are they going to cut him? Are they going to, they're going to do right by Dalvin, right? Then Dalvin goes on the market. We're hearing he wants a big money contract long term and all that stuff. And yeah. it almost just overshadows what the Vikings have in their backfield because I think that, you know, Alexander Madison. Not the biggest Alexander Madison fan here, but he's serviceable and he's cheap and they want more efficiency. So if Alexander Madison doesn't put up RB1 fantasy numbers or win Evan Silva's bet to leave the NFL in rushing, it's okay because you're going to have Ty Chandler who's going to be a pass catcher. Say goodbye 
to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You're out of the backfield. You're going to have Dwayne McBride, who could break out at any moment. You're going to have Kane Wangwu, who they're going to have to find a way for him to contribute and not just clog up a roster spot as a kick return with the new kick return rules. What do you think about this backfield going into the season? Yeah, I I, I am intrigued by the all the options that they have. Different styles of, of, of running back where you said you got Kane Wangwu who can catch out of the backfield is that one cut, get downhill type of runner that can accelerate into the second, third level. Then you got Ty Chandler, who I think is elusive, a tackle-breaking type of running back who maybe could carve out a larger role than people are anticipating if he's healthy and ready to rock and can stay on the field. Uh, he had some impressive runs. I was going back for getting ready for North Carolina, studying Phil Longo going way back. And I watched, I'm like, man, Ty Chandler's college film was, you know, I remember watching Ty when he got drafted by the Vikings, but then digging even deeper into some of these games going, he is a very talented player who, He has that elusiveness trait, ability to break tackles, and that's something that I've spent time studying a lot is what are running running backs that break tackles. There's definitely an advantage for the team at the end of the game. So watch watch NFL football this year and see the the teams that have the running backs that break the most tackles. There's definitely an advantage at at any level. So uh, that's something that I'm watching with this running back room. Then you mentioned Alexander Madison, who will be taking over the primary duties. He's been he's had every you know, chance to develop here, uh, ease along. And now, you know, he's he gets the chance to, to be the man and, you know, yards after contact type of player who keep his feet moving and, and finish runs. And, uh, you know, I thought that last year he played better than he did the previous year. So hopefully he's able to build off of that and, and continue uh, taking the next step as he sort of gets more snaps here. And then Dwayne McBride, you mentioned fumbling was the big thing out there. Got to be able to hold on to the football. But, you know, again, a guy who racked up yards after contact down there, uh, someone who the the front office and the staff seemed very excited about being able to get him that late in the draft. There's a lot of people who thought he would go much earlier than that. So I'm actually looking forward to seeing him in camp in the preseason to get a better feel for uh, what he can do at this level. Where do you stand on the overall landscape of running backs because uh there were some headlines created because jonathan taylor walked into a bus with jim ursay um i'm sure some cocktails were uh consumed and jim ursay came out and said a lot of stupid things and jonathan taylor was like trade me um this is this is such a weird situation and i feel like the vikings are in the middle of it where 
you know, we talk about this as a joke on the show where like Isaiah Pacheco is the gold standard of running backs, you know, Oh, Isaiah, there he is. Seventh round pick. He's so cheap. And it's almost, it's almost like front offices now are like sitting in there and be like, Oh my God, damn it. We hit on a running back. This sucks. Now we have to (laughs) pay him. Now we have to keep him around. Uh, Jonathan Taylor's in there. Like I want a contract extension. And if you're not going to give it to me, somebody else is. And the problem is, I don't see a team in the NFL that's going to be, high, or, you know, giving up some big time capital for Jonathan Taylor and extending him. Like, what is going on with running backs, and how do you think they should fix? It? You know, teams are looking at it uh, from a financial standpoint, and they're saying, well, you know, what, which positions are premium and which ones are not of the most value, where you can, you know, run out the rookie deal and then get another player and save some cap space because other positions are going to get the allotted money just because of the way that they are valued and the contribution that they make to the team. You look at like left tackles, pass rushers, quarterbacks, and you know, your premier wide receiver. So there's other positions, you know, you think about uh, running back safety, uh, you know, linebacker in some respects, like all those positions, uh, you know, they're going to be a little bit different in the value scale. So you look at running backs, able to find more of those players at diamond in the rough type of talents where I see that all the time in the college game where there's players that slip through the cracks that you're looking at the numbers and you're watching the film going, all right, this player breaks a lot of tackles, picks up a lot of yards after contact. Like maybe they were buried on a depth chart where they were two and not a one. They were at an elite program and you know that you're projecting out, hey, this guy can come up to the NFL and be a very, very good back. So now you have teams planning ahead. Like look at the Vikings, for example, and they draft Dwayne McBride. Now looking ahead, they have time to develop him, see what he can do. And then, you know, he will be still on that rookie contract and they can continue to leave themselves with flexibility. They're not going to lock themselves into long-term running back deals. No team is really going to do that because now they're looking at the 800 carry threshold, you know, when backs maybe start to fizzle out. Once players start to reach that point, it's just, do you want to commit that money and or do you want to put it elsewhere where it can benefit you the most? So it's unfortunate because, you know, there are a lot of really good backs. I look at it through the prism of there are certain backs that I would pay you know, that have the versatility, like a Christian McCaffrey, for example, who can do so many different things for your offense and open up a world of possibilities. Alvin Kamara is another example. There are certain backs that are worth potentially signed to a second contract, but now in this landscape, they got to be versatile. They got to be able to do a lot of different things. Look at Jameer Gibbs. I know a lot of people weren't happy with that pick, but if you went back and watched Bama play, you understand how often he was frequently used as a receiver, running routes out of the backfield, uh, being in empty sets where you can put him on the outside and get him in a mismatch versus you know a smaller defender like a linebacker or you know all those different things that you can do with a player like that. That's the back that teams maybe will pay versus one that's you know a downhill runner that is going to grind out yards and maybe you know is a really good back, but does he provide the most versatility and give you more options as a play caller? So that that's where I'm at on it. I value running backs that are versatile. Those are the ones I would consider. Paying. Well, look at the running backs who went in the first round of this year's draft. You mentioned Amir Gibbs. 
B. John Robinson, there's a clip circulating right now of him just breaking some defensive back's ankles. I think that's how this gets fixed. Because, you know, I was talking with Adam on Thursday about how Robert Smith, when he came into the league, he signed a two-year deal. Then he was on the transition tag and he got his money. I figured maybe that's a way to do it, but the owners don't want it because they want cheap control as long as possible. And those backs still might slide down the draft if they only have like a two-year contract on the rate on rage scale wage scale mm-hmm. um you know i think that's what it's going to take where you look at which backs are complaining right now okay austin eckler he's a good receiving back but he's not like a hybrid wide receiver right uh nick chubb downhill bruising type of runner jonathan taylor Morvin, Adrian Peterson, all these guys are capable of catching passes, but it's not their strength. It's not like they're a receiver like McCaffrey, like Gibbs, like B. John Robinson. And I think as players are going to get developed, I've theorized that some wide receivers are going to get switched to running back and be like, no way, I'm not doing that because long-term future, right? But I think if those running backs start developing how to run routes, how to contribute in the passing game, the pendulum will eventually swing back and we'll see more running backs get the pay that they probably deserve. Yeah, I was talking to a couple of college coaches about this the other day because I felt like they had an interesting perspective of, are you hearing from younger high school players that are saying, I don't want to play running back in college. I don't want to do that. I want to play wide receiver. I want to be in the slot. Or are you hearing people saying, hey, I want to play running back, but I also want to get some experience you know, in the receiving game. And the answer that I got was players understand themselves and they're starting to see it. Their parents and the the trainers and the people who are developing these kids are understanding that they have to be using that skill and developing it. So I think you're going to see a lot of these kids coming up from, you know, high school to college to pro. They know they have to develop the versatility if they want to carve out, you know, a long career. So the mindset shift down at the lower level here. In, in style and development might just change that landscape itself naturally because of, you know, the game, the NFL is always sort of the trendsetter at times and then everybody else falls. And so I, I would, I would be willing to bet. And a lot of the, the, those coaches said that they could see, you know, that becoming a thing where players just naturally know that, that they have to have to be that way. They have to be versatile. Well, you know, what is a great place to be a running back? The University of Minnesota under P.J. Fleck. No team has run the ball more than the Gover. Oh, excuse me, outside of the service academies, I believe Navy, Army, and Air Force uh, has run the ball more than the Gophers. They are looking to compete in the Big Ten. Uh, there's a lot of changes overall, especially in the backfield. Mohamed yep. Ibrahim is gone. Uh, you have a new quarterback in eighth and Kaliak Manis. Uh, and you have a lot of new receivers out of the entire team. I mean, defense has some changes too. What do you think is the biggest for the Gophers heading into this season? Well, both sides of the ball, I'd say the first thing on on the offensive side is Ethan Kellickman has taken over. Uh, you obviously saw the flashes last year, the arm talent, the tight window throw ability, uh, layering those crossing routes, you know, getting him in an offense where you know, you're able to maximize his full potential. Maybe it's like, you know, the play action side of it, moving him in the out of the pocket, you know, allowing him to just sling the ball on the move, uh, tying in the screen game, generating more yards after the catch, like all these different things that you can do to build your scheme around what he does well. And then you look at the wide receiver room where they added two transfers and Corey Crooms and Elijah Spencer. I 
believe both of those players are going to be big contributors. Crooms is more that shifty, sudden slot receiver who can be used a lot of different ways in jet sweeps, orbit motions, and just getting him natural touches in space while also being able to win from the slot just because uh, of his suddenness in and out of breaks. And then you've got Elijah Spencer, who's a bigger receiver, uh, thrives in the man coverage situations, good route runner, can drop his weight in and out of breaks and then make plays on the ball. Uh, he's he's good in that capacity as well, being able to accelerate up and get positioned. So those players paired with Chris Altman Bell, who's returning for a seventh season, coming back from injury. You got Daniel Jackson, who made a lot of strides last year and gained valuable experience. Alameki Brockington, who had the big play in the Wisconsin game. I've heard a lot of good things about the strides that he's made. A lot of people forget about Lemecki, but Lemecki uh, is someone that everybody should keep an eye on. So that receiver room could end up being one of the strengths of the team, just based on the personnel that they added. Running back Sean Tyler from Western Michigan's coming in here. Uh, you look at, at his trait that I like is the breakaway run percentage. He was in the top half of that metric in the FBS last year. Minnesota actually quietly didn't have a lot of those breakaway runs of like 15 plus yards. They tend to ground those plays out, you know, over the course of drives, just muscling through contact, breaking tackles, you know, moving the chains and running the clock where maybe you can get a, a, some explosives in the in the running game that are finished by someone like Sean Tyler who's shown that, that he can do that. Him and Zach Evans, who uh, flashed during the spring game at a couple of big runs. Uh, acceleration, one cut, get downhill type of runner who has very, very good ability to make a defender's miss in the second and third level. So keep an eye on those names on the offensive side of the ball. And then defensively, I'd say it all comes down to that pass rush. They have some versatility up there, but you know they need – uh, Danny Strigo, Chris Collins at the rush end position. Both of them are going to be key contributors. Kyler Baugh on the inside, is he able to take a step forward after coming in here later and showing growth over the course of the season? I want to see that pass rush take a step forward because Minnesota's done a nice job of limiting explosive plays and you know tackling well. All the good fundamentals that you have to play uh, to be a successful defense, they've done those things. Now it's all about pressure, building a unit that can consistently get after the quarterback. That's the challenge that Minnesota will be trying to master uh, this season. What are the expectations you have for Ethan Kaliak Manis? I, I tell you, you know, the, the talent is there, the potential, all the things that you're looking for are able to be harnessed. Now it's about building the scheme, like I said. And then, you know, he had the opportunity to learn from Tanner Morgan, who I believe, you know, I, I had a unique perspective of being around a program and seeing things. And the way that the team rallied around Tanner, like when Tanner talked, people listened. And that's the trait that maybe people didn't notice as much was he is just such a natural leader that gets everything going for this team, whether it's like workouts in the offseason and, you know, mentoring other players and just being that voice and then sitting in the film room with Kirk Soraka and just dissecting everything. Ethan's got to learn that process, but he was able to, you know, gain experience being with Tanner and, and Kirk and learn how to do that. Now, you know, Greg, uh, Greg Harbo and Matt Simon both are going to be guiding him along throughout the season, teaching him those things. Now he's got to become that voice and be that vocal leader and take this, the step in that role, because that's so important at the quarterback position. You got to have that, that, uh, edge to you where you can get people to, you know, buy in and and lead them to where you want to go. So those are the things that I would say and mental process. You can rep it. He's been in five, he's made five starts, appeared in 11 games, but every team's going to be 
throwing a lot of different looks at him. And until you get in the game and see all those things, now there's going to be highs, there's going to be lows, there's going to be in-betweens, but it's all about consistency and getting those reps. So I, I'm I'm excited to see what he can do. And I, I think it'll be a challenge for him just because of the teams he'll be playing throughout the year. Oh, uh, sure. PJ Fleck called the Gophers schedule an opportunity on KFAN because it's the second toughest in the nation. They're going to play Michigan. They're going to play Ohio State. Uh, they're going to play North Carolina, which should be interesting to Vikings fans who may want to get a look at Drake May this fall. A lot of people comparing him to Ben Roethlisberger. You have Michigan State in there. Um, this is such an interesting year because I felt like the Gophers' best chance to win the Big Ten West came last year. But you look around the division and you're going, um, who's going to win this thing? Because Purdue, they lost some key pieces. Wisconsin's adapting to a new coach. I know Luke Fickle is very good, but he might have a transitional phase. Uh, Northwestern is a mess. Uh, Iowa, Kirk Ferenz was up at Big Ten Media Day talking about punting. So that's how that's going right now. Um, like, is this their best chance to win a, or, you know, at least get to the Big Ten championship game? Because they're going to be switching up the format. They're going to ditch the divisions with UCLA and USC coming in. I still can't believe I'm saying that. Um, like, this might be it. What do you think? I always tell people uh, August 25th is sort of my day where I, I have a better idea of everything. Because you know what can happen in camp? You got injuries. You got people that emerged that maybe weren't expected. Transfers that came in late in the second wave. How do they adjust? So you have a better picture of how everything's going, not just at Minnesota, but all the other schools. But I would say at this point, you know, you look at the, the Big Ten West, the question marks for a few teams. Illinois has an outstanding pass rush. Johnny Newton's back with Keith Randolph, Gabe Jackis, Seth Coleman, two ascending young pass rushers. Uh, they lost Devin Witherspoon, Sidney Brown in the secondary. Uh, how do they replace that? Jartavius Martin, a super versatile defensive back. So my question is their secondary and the quarterback on offense, Luke Altmeyer transferring in from Ole Miss. Uh, is he able to run this type of scheme that you know I feel is all about accuracy, getting the ball to the right place, making – uh, the right reads, those decisions are just so pivotal. I'm watching secondary and quarterback for Illinois. I believe Illinois has a lot of talent, and people may be sleeping on them as a potential Big Ten West champion type of team just because of that pass rush. And I feel like their offensive line should be pretty good too as well. So them, Iowa, can their offensive line play better? I didn't think they were very consistent on that side of the ball. The film and the numbers back that up. Uh, Cade McNamara coming in as a transfer from Michigan, added Eric All, a transfer tight end from Michigan, and then Alante Brown, a wide receiver, uh, uh, Brown, the wide receiver from uh, Ohio State as a transfer as well. So those three players, uh, can they help uh, Iowa sort of become more explosive on offense, or are they going to be sort of <laughs> left in the dust by Brian Ferentz, who has been just one of those coordinators that hasn't evolved. I was all about playing good defense. They're one of the best since 2018 at limiting explosive plays, playing with good fundamentals. And that's their formula. Good special teams, good defense. Uh, but, you know, offensively, you know, we'll see if they can step it up. And then I'd say Wisconsin's the other team. Wild card. Don't know what to expect. Running an air raid offense in the Big Ten, going from that power to the air raid. I feel it will be more. It's not going to be the the dark roast coffee version of the air raid. It's going to be 
the cold brew where it's, you know, they're going to run the ball a little bit more than, than maybe people are anticipating. They're going to find that happy medium. And the offenses that I've studied that run the air raid, the ones that ran the ball more in the first year, they had more immediate success than the teams that tried to, you know, not run the ball and just air it out right away. So watch Wisconsin there and then their secondary. I have question marks about what's going to happen with their secondary. Do they have enough talent and versatility there to get that thing off the ground? But, you know, like I said, Iowa with Caleb Brown, Cade McNamara, Eric All on the offensive side, uh, some of the transfers that Wisconsin brought in, Tanner Mordecai, the quarterback from SMU. Like there are a lot of different pieces from coaching staffs to players and the transfers coming. It's a whole new landscape getting ready for the season. So let's see how these next three weeks play out and and how things go in, in camp. Well, hold up, hold up. I, I, this is what kind of caught me. So are you, you're more of a dark roast guy than a cold brew guy or what, what, what do you mean? Well, no, what I'm saying is, is, you know, Mike Leach is kind of, he was the, he was the dark roast coffee where, you know, Phil Longo finds that medium where he, he's going to just extract the, the, the coffee grounds out and, and put it on ice. Oh, so, okay. I, I I like to use the coffee scale when I'm talking about offense. Like, is it going to be a light, you know, light roast type of offense where you're not going to use anything from the previous regime? Is it going to be a little bit of a cold brew or is it going to be the dark roast, the the killer dark roast? So, so, so like we're talking about like an IPA between like <laughs> and Mick Golden Light or something like that, you know? You, you I, could cop it that way too. You could definitely go on that scale. I just, I'm, I'm a coffee guy, so I've always done that. And people, but I, I used that line the other day and people were like, what the heck are you talking about? But I guess it's my way to think about it, the, the dark roast uh, cold brew offensive philosophy. So I guess, you know, Brian Flores, he's probably going to be the dark roast coffee guy. You know, I, they, they were the light roast. <laughs> they were I, the light roast with that Donatelle. You know? you know, I got I got one more story for you here because I took a trip to Seattle a couple weeks ago to go check out the twins at uh, oh, T-Mobile Park. Formerly, yeah. it's still Safeco Park to me. I know it's still a company or whatever, but I mean, that that's, you know, Safeco Field uh home or wrestlemania 19 i still watch that and i'm like god that is just such a cool setup and like even sitting there watching a baseball game i'm like that's where stone cold steve austin came out right there man like you know just looking looking around but um i got to the airport a little bit early because everybody was talking like i think uh brock hewart tweeted out like the week i was supposed to go like what happened to you SeaTac airport? And everybody's like, Oh my god, it took me four hours to get through security and everything else. So I had a 9 a.m. flight. I showed up at five in the morning and I ripped through security in 15 minutes. Um, and Seattle obviously is a big coffee place, right? Right. So, I, I mean, I was just walking around and obviously you have your Starbucks there. So, I mean, I didn't go to any local. I should have gone to a local coffee shop. But I mean, I the whole thing was just anxiety. I was by myself and I was just like, oh, what am I doing? I, I don't know. And like, I think a guy OD'd by my hotel, like. There are a whole bunch of cop cars and stuff. I'm like, I don't really want to go outside right now. But <laughs> um, so I get there. I wait in line for Starbucks. And the lady's like, oh, hey, blonde, dark or whatever. And I'm like, um, normal. <laughs> just, just give me the normal stuff. And I'm like, I'm so sorry. I never like order it because I, I, I'm just a K-cup guy. I just throw the K-cup in. I, it cakes it out. I drink my coffee. And then I get out with my day. So 
Um, yeah, vacation life, Liv- living that good lifestyle. With I, the love, Starbucks. I love how we made that scene. That was a seamless tie in there to talk about your trip to Seattle. I, that wasn't even planned. So it, it was not a humble brag. Like a lot of these <laughs> things just seem like a humble brag, but there are a lot of weird things that kind of happened. Just like, glad nobody else is here to like see this because this is kind of, kind of awkward here, but uh, let's wrap things up a little bit. Daniel, what do you got going on at Gophers Guru and Vikings Corner? Getting ready for the season on Gophers Guru. The subscription package is $5 a month. It gets you access to the whole breakdown archive, hundreds of breakdowns on there now. So you can go back and look at all the old ones and the new ones. Did a big study on passing downs defense where Minnesota stacks up in there, evaluating 131 FBS teams and looking at uh, the factors that lead to success on passing downs. So you can check things out like that. And then also the features. Done a lot of features. Danny Strigal, Ja Joyner, Nathan Bowe a whole list of different players that I've done feature stories with that are dropping on the site as well. So it's the ability to blend that next gen football schematics, uh, numbers that people can understand to give them perspective of the game that's different. And then also the stories, learning about players, uh, coaches, what makes them tick, how they got there. I love that part of it, just being able to, uh, you know, shed light on uh, who these people are, because there are more to them than just putting on the putting on the shoulder pads and going out and play. And that I just, that's my favorite part, especially in college athletics. And then Vikings corner, just keep your eyes out occasionally for uh, content over there. The big business is the gopher side of it now. Cause I, you know, get the access there and able to interview players, but you know, I still, I still keep my Vikings content up on Twitter and uh, you, you get a article here, or there, a little breakdown on the Vikings. So I'm sure I'll be doing that at some point uh, here during training camp and, uh, into the season and where can people follow you on twitter or x i feel like i feel like if i mentioned twitter like everybody knows what it is and like they like i still type in twitter.com when i, I try too. to look for it like social media what are your social media handles so people can follow you you can follow me on twitter or x or as we called it x uh at daniel house nfl so that's where you can find all the content and then at Vikings Corner on Twitter and uh, at Gopher. So we're just going to call it Twitter. That, that, that's that's what it is to us. So we'll, we'll we'll just do it right now, and then you know eventually we'll switch over. We're like the we're like the people who still call you know the some of the old football and baseball teams by their old names. Like just like ah, oh, it's still that to me. I don't. It's still Safe Go Field to me. I don't need this T-Mobile Park it's still crap. TCF Bank Stadium. Yeah, it's TCF. It's the bank. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> It technically still is the bank, but I, I don't know. Yeah, but that is all the time we have for today. Thank you, Daniel, for coming on. This is the Viking Age podcast, the official podcast of the Viking We do this every Monday and Wednesday or every Monday and Thursday at 615 p.m. Central Time. You can catch us on Apple and Spotify the very next day. But however you listen or watch, rate, comment, like and subscribe. So you never miss a new episode for Daniel House. I am Chris Shad, and we'll talk to you next time on the Viking Age Podcast. Say goodbye. 
your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.